challenging. We are, during September, going through some issues from a booklet. It's out here in the entryway. Uh, if you didn't get a title or if you didn't get a copy, please pick up a copy if there's still some out there. It's a little section out of the United Brethren Church Discipline. It's called Family and Moral Standards, something like that. And for these four months, for these four weeks, I'm sorry, we've looked at these different issues that are outlined in these moral, sexual, family uh, issues. And today, it uses the word for this section, um, social, social standards. I'm not sure, in a way, what distinguishes one from another. Everything's social, and, you know, in, some th- in a way, in some things, are, and everything is not social. But I'm going to read a scripture some scriptures that are filled with rules. And really, these membership standards and these expectations that we've been talking about over the last couple weeks are a bunch of rules. And every week, I've mentioned this. Come back to this. Why do we have all these rules? Why does our world have to have rules? Why does our family have to have rules? Why does our church have to have rules? And we've talked about this. And mainly what I've said is, look, God owns and operates the universe. He created it. He sustains it. He can have any rule he wants to. If he wanted to wipe his hand sideways, we'd all disappear. He has the right and the privilege to make any rule that he chooses, to, 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 to make any standard and set it out there. We've, I've mentioned this a couple of times. Um, but let me read the Scriptures and then I'll come back because I want to talk about it a little bit more. The rules. Because these are a list of rules. And uh, I warn you, in the first service, whew, I don't know where this half hour went, but it went so fast. Ephesians, I'm going I'm to read some scriptures here if you care to follow along. Ephesians 5 is the first one. And I will start really at the beginning of the chapter. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. These starting on the rules uh, of impurity or any kind of greed, which is. I'm sorry, I lost my place or any kind of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be. So here's some more rules, obscenity, foolish talk. Coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this reason, you can, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So the rule is not only, hey, stay away from this, but don't even be wrapped up too tight with people who do, who are. Don't even be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. 
For everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be drunk on wine, but which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So, there's, a, there's two rules here. You know, don't, uh, don't get yourself addicted over here or so filled up with, the, with wine that you mess yourself all up. But instead, that capacity for inner filling, take it over here and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, some are prohibition, stay away from this, and some are positive expectations. Do this. Be filled with the Spirit. Uh, do not uh, Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, we sometimes just jump right across that and attach it to marriage. And we say, oh, that's talking about a husband and wife, and the wife's got to submit to the husband. But in that context there, he's not talking about marriage. He's just talking about our normal relationships as human beings. And he says, this is a rule. Submit to each other. Try to, try to see what you can do to get along with each other. See how you could uh, make another person happy and serve them rather than walking around like you're a king with a crown on your head. Submit to each other. It's a good thing to do. It's a rule. Okay, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6. Just a few verses there. I'm sorry, yeah, yes. Starting in verse 14. Some more rules. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which is a word for Satan? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and the idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So, some pretty high expectations and not, not a few rules. Now, one more passage, just a couple of verses. This is in the book of Titus, towards the end of the New Testament, chapter 2. And he says this in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I was just thinking, wouldn't it, uh, wouldn't Nancy Reagan that started that just say no campaign with drugs? Well, it's not from, I mean, Nancy Reagan wasn't the first one with the idea. Here it is in the Bible. Just say no. This is a rule. I don't do this. I, I refrain from this. No, no thank you. No, I won't be involved. This is what it's saying. This is the rule of your life. Just say no to ungodliness. And 
Live godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do good. Um, So there's a list of quite a few rules, expectations, not just uh, suggestions, but he's saying just say no. That's more than a suggestion. Now, let me think about rules, because this is what it comes back to, and this is where we we chafe, and this is where we sometimes, I've had people say to me, well, you know, join, the, all the church membership is just a bunch of rules, and I'm not big and wild on a, a bunch of rules. And probably every single one of us feel that way. We probably all hate rules in a certain way or to a certain extent, and we wish we didn't even have to have any rules at all. Well, let me talk about rules a little bit. First of all, besides the fact, as I said, that God runs the universe, so he can make any rule he wants, uh, here's a thought, just an angle about rules. And that is that rules tell us something about the person who created or gave the rules. They reveal something about the nature or the character or the purpose or the personality of the person who created the rule. In a way, a rule is an extension of a person. Just for example, when I come in our house, where we, where I live, I walk in the house, i got a bunch of mud and slop on my boots, I guarantee I won't get real far. Because Cindy will be yelling, and Cindy will be saying, Hey, you're getting mud on the carpet. Take your boots out and take them off on the porch. My mother used to tell me the same thing, by the way. <laughs> I think my wife talked to my mother. Take them... This is a rule in my house. There's no mud on the, you know, you're not going to string mud across my carpet. And she's quite adamant. This is her rule. You don't bring, okay, why? Because what that says to me is Cindy herself, my wife, is a neat and orderly and clean person. Now, if I walked in the house and I'm stringing mud and leaves and slop across the carpet, and she says, that's all right, no big deal, I don't care. It would tell me something different about her. I'm not saying good or evil, I'm just saying I gain insights into her nature by the rules that she sets. Same thing with God. When God says, here's what I want you to do, here's what I expect of you, look, just say no. It tells me a little bit about the character and the purpose and the nature of God, of who He is. But actually, I have something different in my mind this morning than any of those things regarding rules. And that is that uh, we all wish, would, would all love, I assume, to live in a world where there was no rules. Where there was just freedom. And when you read the story, amazingly, that's the world as it was at the beginning. It says that when God created the world, which he loved very much, he made this perfect world, he loved it very much. He, because of that love, he built in freedom. And out of that freedom came an absolute disaster. And because of the disaster, rules emerged. Because the Lord said, I'll never let that happen again. Kind of like 9-11, remember when... The days where you could walk on an airline, you could just 
waltz on. You could have a you could have a knife in your pocket, go right on there. I've done it many times. No problem, no issues or anything. And then a disaster came, and all of a sudden, there's a flurry of rules because the disaster changed everything. I you know I think about when Henry Ford made his first car. Guarantee he didn't have seat belts in it. Who cared about anything like that? Why you need a restriction to tell you where you can set? And then somebody got injured in a car. And then somebody got killed in a car. And pretty soon, somebody said, we got to hold these people in place. And so now there's a whole restrictive thing going on in cars. Because the freedom couldn't be handled. And the freedom led to disaster. So when you go back to the second chapter of Genesis and you read the story, it's amazing to consider what it was like when God puts this man that He made in the garden. And He says, the first words that He said, you are free to eat anything you want, any tree of the garden. Uh, you are free to create. I want you to work it and take care of it. Whatever gives you pleasure. Just make it. You want to do some landscaping over here? You want to build a pond? You want to plant a, uh, an apple tree? It, it's yours. And, and it's free. for You're free to be creative. And you're free to eat and partake in any way that you want. Now, there was one restriction. You remember what it was. He said, now, I will. I am going to put one negative out here. It's the only one. Only thing that he mentioned. I personally don't think it's a rule in the same way as other rules. I think it was nothing but a test. I mean, it could come across like a rule, but it's really a test. Where the Lord said, uh, you know, love has to be proven. And the only way I can prove your love is to give you a test to pass. So here's this one tree. Here's this, this one barrier. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. Stay away from it. Other than that, you have absolute complete freedom. There's no rules. Eat from any tree. And, of course, we all know that good old Adam slammed headfirst into that one restricted area and disaster fell. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. Years ago, there was a guy that I was trying to help to learn to drive. This is funny, but isn't funny. Uh... And I said, well, let's go and use the church parking lot. You can, I'll help you. I'll ride with you and you can, you know, we practice parking and parallel parking and all that stuff. So I came in here. I was in my pickup truck and met him here. And we got, I'm sorry, I was in my car. Okay, I take it back. I thought of, I, I, I'm changing my story. But it's okay. It's the truth now. <laughs> I was in my car because he was driving my car. I mean, I was with him, and I'm trying to teach him how to drive. The bus that sits out here, uh, I think it's Child Evangelism, or Camp Joel, I believe. That bus was parked out here in the middle of the parking lot. Other than that, this whole entire parking lot was empty. And there was half a dozen times, I was absolutely sure a guy was going to hit that bus. And there was nothing else anywhere. We had the whole range of the parking lot. And he would head right for that bus. And I'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. Turn, and he stop, stop. And I, I thought, sure, I was going to crash right into that bus. And I'm like, there's only one thing here that's off limits. And, and he's going to smack it. I know he's going to smack it. It was, it was a close call a few times. Okay. 
So this is Adam in the garden. There's just a restriction that really is a way of proving that the love of his heart can handle the freedom that God has given to it. And Adam didn't do well. There was disaster. And so the Lord said, that will never happen again. Since you can't handle freedom, I'll help you. I'll tell you what to do in this situation and I'll tell you what to do in that situation and I'll give you a plus and I'll give you a minus and I'll say, look, we're not going to get very deep or very far till there's going to be a rule to show you and tell you. That's how I'm going to make sure that you uh, don't do this, this fall in the same disaster again. The rules were never there at the origin. So it's something to it's something to comprehend about the rules, the laws of God, the, the rules of the church, and all that kind of thing. You got it? We had to stop and remember they're only there because there was a disaster. You know, um, I have a wood shop at my house, and I enjoy my wood shop very much. I don't get there in there very much, but I sure do love it. I built it in two thousand six in the summer. And when the guy was building it, uh, was, I had an Amish crew that was helping to build this thing, and I gave him one very important instruction. I said, I want you to make this building mouse-proof. I want any mice in my shop. And just make sure, you know, all the gaps, any doorways or anything, I, 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 I want to make sure that's my main overriding concern. And then since that time... Uh, you know, I myself take precautions. So I have a garage door, and I never just go out and leave that garage door up. I mean, if I'm working there, that's one thing. But if I don't just walk away for 20 minutes, leave the door up, I always put it down. Um, I always kind of warn anybody else, my wife or somebody, be careful, don't leave the door open if you're, you know, just wandering around. I even, and, and this is 15 years now, I don't know that I've had a mouse in my shop. I haven't seen one. And I'm very grateful, but I even actually have, this will tell you how obsessed I am with this, I have a trap, a mouse trap, baited and set in my shop. In case a mouse did get in, which I don't know that one has, but if one did get in, he would smell my little offering and come over there and get his head smashed. Now, you may say to me, wow, you're kind of, you're kind of twisted about mice. You're kind of tight. Uh, got a lot of rules there about keeping um, keeping little mice out of your shop. And I would say, I guess I am. But in the spring of 2006, I had also a wood shop, a building that burned to the ground. I lost the shop. I lost all my equipment. I lost everything. It was it was kind of traumatic for me. The fire marshal said, well, I know it started right here. I can't guarantee you what it's what started it, but I would guess that a mouse chewed a wire and caused a short. And the sparking from that short started your fire. So I said, well, that won't happen again. Now the rules about mice. They are not allowed in my building. Before that time, I had mice in my wood shop. It didn't bother me at all. I'm not scared of a mouse. I opened my drawer and there'd be an old mouse looking up at me. It didn't bother me. But those mice couldn't handle the freedom that I gave them to be there. And so now there's a rule. They're not going to be there at all. 
Because from the disaster came rules and expectations. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to say. When people say to you, ah, I don't want to be a member of the church, it's just a bunch of rules, and I don't want to have to keep all these rules, and I have to watch my step over here, and watch my step over there. I don't like all these rules. I understand that. I don't like rules. I suppose we all would just love to live in a perfect world where there was no rules. We used to have that, is what I'm saying. In the old days. In the old, old days. We had the perfect world. And we had the freedom. But we couldn't handle it. And so, the Lord said, well then I'll help you. I'll give you, step by step, my expectations to help you through. But you're not always going to like that. You're going to feel restricted and chafed by that thing. Okay, that's enough of that. Let me come back to these scriptures and the expectations of the church. But here is one of the verses that I read in Ephesians 5. And just a comment, and then I'll go to this list that I have, this long list on your paper. Uh, Oftentimes we interpret or we kind of translate being careful as being somewhat scared. You know, if I if I leave the house, Cindy might say, be careful. Or maybe if I'm going deer hunting or something of a little bit of risk. Or, uh, or my mother or father, when I used to leave home to go off to college, I'd say, be careful, be careful. What does that mean? Well, it probably means they're a little bit afraid. We should be a little bit afraid. They just want us to be safe and secure. And, and somehow, there's, there's a little fear there. Now here the Scripture says, be careful how you live. But it doesn't mean to walk around being afraid. That is not what it means at all. It means, actually, don't be reckless. Don't be thoughtless. Keep your eyes wide open. Be very thoughtful as you live. But it does not at all mean that we need to walk around fearful of a, 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 a rule or a consequence or, or something. But rather, that all the time when we're making choices, we're actually considering the ramifications, how it's going to affect my family or maybe how it's going to affect the next generation or how it's going to affect my future. I'm thinking of all that stuff even while I am making the choice. In fact, this is something that struck me here. Maybe it helped you to illustrate it a little bit. You see this word. I picked this, this word out in the Greek text, akribos. In English, it has a derivative in the word acrobat. Dean, you have a picture for me, I'm told. Can you give me that? Yeah, you got two pictures. Okay. How'd you like to be this dude? <laughs> it looks almost like a painting, but I don't think it is. I think I'm pretty sure that's a real picture. Now, do you suppose this guy is walking carefully? <laughs> do you suppose he's being very careful how he lives as he walks across between these looks like between skyscrapers or something like that? Yes, I'm sure he is being careful. What do you think he's watching? What is he what is the focus of his life as he's 
walking across this rope or this wire. What do you think he's looking at? Can you can you uh, give me the next picture, Dean? I think the acrobat, the tightrope walker, the person who is careful living, carefully living, um, they they got to watch. They got to watch the the wire, the rope. They're not looking over here and say, oh, oh that looks bad. They're looking over here and say, oh, I don't want to fall that way because I'll. I'll you know, but I mean, then they would be living quite fearfully. Doesn't mean Akribos does not mean to live in fear when he says, "Be careful." But what it means is, pay attention. Um, pay attention to what is really going to keep you safe, and that's staying on the wire. You don't have to worry about what's over your right or what's over your left, or how dangerous it is, or how destructive it is. As long as you stay on that rope, you're not going to have to deal with it anyway. So, okay. You can give me back my my uh, control. Thank you. So it's the opposite of reckless or thoughtless. Okay, I'm not getting it, Dean. You might have to help me. Can you give me the next one? You don't have a mouse, it's because I, uh, I have a I have a rule, no mice. Okay. Well, you have a you have a list there on your sermon notes in your in your uh, bulletin, hopefully, if you have one. I'm just gonna go through there here very briefly. And what I did was some of these issues, which are called social issues in our church discipline, and I, I realize what time it is, and I'll be very fast. I won't get into any detail hard to hear at all because I don't have time. And you can look, you can just take one of these books and read, and they have a little more discussion and go into a little more detail. But these are some things that our United Brethren Church has for many, many years understood from Scripture and interpreted into a rule uh, expectation standard for those who wish to be members of the church. And the first one is uh, several items that I, I, I organized them this way. Here we go. That these standards, um, the first two or so here, are listed as urged to abstain. In other words, our church standard is we hope you won't. We don't want you to see you involved with these things. But we're not... We're not saying it's utterly forbidden. Now, a couple other things is that way. It used to be that for, for alcohol, our church did forbid a member to consume alcohol. That was, for many, many years, our standard. Dottie, you remember those days, I'm sure. But uh, that has changed in, within the last 20 years or so. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm simply saying now our discipline says in these different areas here, we urge our members to abstain, but it's not something that is um, that is required to be a member. Same thing with gambling in its in its many different forms. Uh, our church says we wish you wouldn't. We think it's harmful. We think it's not a good thing, and we would prefer that you did not. But we do not forbid you to. Uh, be involved in gambling. Okay, moving on. 
There are a few issues, a few things that our church membership says. If you're a member of the church, we do not want you to be involved in these, and we forbid it. And if you continue in it, and we're aware, and you're made on no, you're 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 given notice, and you won't change, then will you will lose your membership in the church because we forbid this. Um, for one of these I've mentioned there is occult, occultism, witchcraft, uh, fortune telling. All this kind of stuff where basically your people are trying to consult the, the, the dead on behalf of the living. Or trying to consult the other world to manipulate something in this world. The Bible says it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of lies and deceptions. The Bible says Isaiah chapter 8, don't even go there. Get involved in that kind of stuff. And so we say to church members, we agree and we forbid you from doing these kind of things. Here's one that's been a very contentious thing. Uh, for many, many years, and, and it caused a great split in our church back in the 1800s. And this has to do with societies that are often just called secret societies. There's a number of them. I think many of them are no longer in existence, but there are a few. Um, the Masonic Lodge would be probably the most prominent, but there are others. These are fraternities, groups that uh, require a lo- an oath of secrecy to be part of them. And... Uh, and you may say, well, I know people in the Masonic Lodge and they're wonderful individuals and I myself personally would agree. I have many friends who are Masons and, and I love them dearly and, and so forth. However, the problem or the issue or the reason that we as a church have from the inception said uh, we won't allow a person to be a member of both is we feel there's conflicts. One of them has to do with the secrecy, why do you have to be so secret? If you're not hiding anything or you're not doing anything that would be immoral, why do you have to swear yourselves to secrecy? Another one would be favoritism. Um, how that these groups uh, teach each other or, or, or expect their members to show um, favoritism or, uh, I can't think of the word that I want, where they look out for each other even at the expense of other people. Um, Sometimes I could tell you a ton of stories that have been told to me from people who were discriminated against or who were part of the favored few and were very, very happy about how their fortunes were helped by their um, secret society brothers, even while other people were not helped. The third thing that we have always objected to as a United Brethren Church is the emulation or the simulation or the suggestion of being a religion in itself. You know, some of these secret societies, they have places to meet called temples and they have their own funeral organization, they have their own funeral rites and they have, they call their the head honcho the grand worshipful master and things like this that certainly suggest that if I'm a part of this group, I'm certainly going to be granted entrance into the kingdom of God. Now, I have talked to Masons, both current and former, some who will admit that and some who will deny it. So I'm, I'm, I'm understanding the controversial part of this. But this is something that our church has said. Basically this, look, if you're in a secret society and you're a member and you want to be a member of the church, we're going to say no, hoping that you would examine what this really is, and say, why is my church so antagonistic here? Why is my church forbidding this? What is this really? What are they seeing that I'm missing? And hoping that it would 
bring about some self-examination and hopefully some change. Uh, here's another uh, item, and you can read these again in this little book out there. Uh, abortion is something that our church has said, look, we just feel it's wrong in any possible scenario except in the case where the mother's life is, is threatened. If that's the case, that both are going to die uh, would be in, unless the life of the baby is taken, and that's the competent medical counsel and we accept that. But other than that, we don't think that family planning and all these other things, uh, that it's right. And we do not allow church members to do that. Genetic engineering. Um, somebody was talking to me this morning about some new, uh, some new fronts in genetic engineering where they may be able to uh, attack a certain disease as soon as it's detected. Um, our church and its statements about genetic engineering is not, an, is not in a way... Uh, I don't believe is not saying that it couldn't or shouldn't be used to help you in your own health if there is a possibility of that. It's especially talking about a situation where somebody might say, hey, we're pregnant and we want a boy and it looks like it's a girl, so we're going to have to do some little switcheroo things or we're going to have to go at the genetic side of things. And our church has said, uh-uh. Or, you know... Um, you know, Josh, I think of you. Before your daughter Evie was born, you knew there were some issues. You knew there was something that wasn't right, appeared to be from the test. Um, you know, I don't know whether genetic engineering could be a situation, could helpful there or not, but I do, I know that many people in your position would have said, well, let's get rid of this child because it's going to be inferior. It's going to be, have a, have a condition or genetic disorder. And our church has said, so, uh, we pray, we trust, we do anything possible after the birth of the child, but we do not seek to eliminate or alter or change what God has given. If that be the case, then we rejoice in learning and how to deal with that. Um, certainly euthanasia, the same thing. Our church says to its members, uh, just because somebody's old and infirm or somebody has Alzheimer's or whatever, you don't get rid of them. That's God's prerogative. That's His option. Okay, here's another area that has often been controversial and our, uh, our viewpoint is possibly a little bit unique. And, and that is that we understand that people, Christian people, committed believers who trust God and honor Scripture are going to always split over this issue. They always have and they always will. And our position is, we don't care what your position is, but we insist that you not put each other down if the person that you're talking with, the other church member, has a different viewpoint. And that has to do with the military. From the Scripture, there are those who are pacifists. They say, I could not go and be involved on a scene of bat on a field of battle. I could not support my country and, and, and in the process have to kill another human being. I have a, a conscientious objection to that, and I cannot and I will not go and do that. I, I, you know, most of those people will be involved in some other way. Thankfully, they'll be involved in community service, and and and, and that's wonderful. But there are those who'd say, if that's what you got to expect of me, I won't do it. And our church has said from its inception, that's all right, brother, we accept that. That may be indeed God's calling to you. 
And if you're a pacifist by nature or by belief, and you uh, do not want to be part of the, the military, we accept that conviction and hold you at no less honor than if you had a different conviction. On the other hand, maybe sitting beside him on the pew is a is a United States Marine who just you know fully committed to the to the idea not of aggressive warfare but of defending the country. And if means if that means being in battle and if that means in the defense of freedom, um, killing, then they're willing to do that. Our church has said to that person, "We support you, brother," and we believe. And it's stated in our discipline that we should not denigrate or disrespect the other side of this viewpoint because both sides look to the Scripture and find support there and teaching there to support their views. And so we have always just chosen to live with this ambivalence on this particular issue. Some churches and groups are known as... uh, Peace churches or pacifistic churches who they don't really disagree. They expect their members to have the viewpoint of pacifism. Ours has always been um, mixed. I remember uh, a number of years ago we had an individual who came here and joined our church and he came out of a pacifistic church. And he described to me how when he decided to go into the military, how he was pummeled and how he was disrespected and disregarded in his church and it was very hurtful for him because he had come to the other conclusion and he and he said I was no longer accepted among my peers and my my fellow church members so here's a place where we're not saying we uh, urge you not to do it we're not saying we forbid you to do it we're saying God may lead you how God may lead you then you follow Here's a couple of things that we do expect. This is on the positive side now of the ledger. We do expect those who are members of the church to be baptized and share with communion. We do expect those who are members of the church to try to use the Christian community to resolve disputes. I could talk for an hour on this, and I'm not going to. Don't worry, it's afternoon. Okay, but, you know, Jesus said, first of all, try. First of all, use your brothers and sisters in Christ who have the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said, you've you got to fuss with your brother or he's offended you, go talk to him. If that don't work, take a friend and go talk to him again. If that don't work, well, get a hold of the, of the deacons or the spiritual care people or the pastor or somebody. Get the church involved and try to see if you can iron this out. Don't just jump off to the nearest courthouse and file a lawsuit. Um, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, you know what? The dumbest person, I'm just paraphrasing, the dumbest person in the church is a true believer, is smarter than the smartest attorney out there who's not a believer. That's what it says. That we have the Spirit of God. And so we understand the priority and the truth, the priorities of God and the truth of God. Why would we take some dispute that we have in front of people who may not even believe in God. All they might care about is getting rich or anything like that. They may, they may not understand any of the truth of God. And Paul says, no, no, no. First of all, and this is what our church says, 
Only go that direction if you've exhausted the other possibilities. If you tried, and I know some of you have had some, some horrific situations where you did end up in court. But the issue is, did you try, first of all, did you make every possible effort? Sometimes there's criminal situations that we cannot avoid being in court or over being involved with court. But our church has said, this is what we expect. If you're a member of the church... And, and uh, Ed, if you're fighting with Kate, and Kate's fighting with Ed, you're members of the church, we expect you, don't just take each other to court. <laughs> you're not going to do that. Start, start by seeing whether you can have some help from within the Christian community to solve it. Participation in the local church, accountability to the church leadership. I could talk for an hour there too, but I won't. But please understand, I don't mean here, for example, as myself as a leader of the church, I don't mean here that by being accountable that every church member has to agree with me on everything. I don't expect that, and I know that will never happen. What I do expect, whether it's myself or any other church leaders, is that if there were an offense or there were an issue or there were a, a, an, an action that was called into question or ever, whatever, and that church leadership reached out to you or they came to your house or they said, said, hey, Charlie, I want to sit down with you because I think you've gone out in left field and I want to talk to you. What accountability means at the, at, at the least is that you would listen. You may not agree in the end. And you might say, you know, I, I just can't agree with you. Okay. But at least you listen. You didn't just slap the door shut in somebody's face and say, I'm going to talk to you. It's happened. <laughs> It's happened to me plenty of times, and it shouldn't happen. Accountability at least means I'll hear you out, and then I'll decide, but I will submit to at least hearing and understanding why you hope for me to change. Okay, these standards are not just rules because you need rules. They're trying to assist us just like God wanted to assist. And with these two things, and I'm done here. God, in these scriptures that I uh, read to you, listed up there at the top of your sermon notes are some issues that kind of emerge out of those three scriptures I read. And on the one hand, you could say we, you could make it an issue of identifying with Christ. This is what we want our church people to... We, we want those who are who are part of our church families and and members, we want them to identify with Christ. Be baptized. That's that's a rule. On the other hand, we want them to separate from the world. And by that I mean worldly philosophies and worldly ideas and worldly motivations. Yeah, man. If I do this, I can get rich. That's a worldly motivation. Nothing wrong with money. But it's a worldly motivation to just want to get rich. That's not from God. God. God will take care of us. We don't need to be rich for God to take care of us. So this pulling away from the world, it's like the tightrope walker. We're, we're trying to say as a church member, uh, we, don't, we want you not to go right or left. We don't want to see you fall either direction. On the other hand, we want you to stay right on the rope. We want to see you identify as with Christ. And 
if a rule can help you, if you say to yourself, I don't know what to think, or I'm really experiencing temptation, I'm trying hard, but I'm not getting far. Maybe, as a member of the church, and other people, other church members praying and working and sharing together, maybe the fact that that this is a rule can help. That you can say, well, if all I had was my own willpower, I'd probably fail. But I have my willpower and I also have the expectation of others. And they're pulling for me. And they're hoping for me. And they're warning me. And they're saying, God teaches you to say no. And all that together adds to what I really want anyway. And so therefore, I can pass the test. I'll stop. I think it's quarter after 12. I think we should just rise together and pray. And uh, you can come and play. You can play as, as we leave, Natasha. I appreciate your patience, and I appreciate you coming today. Oh Lord, may your mercy and blessing, may your benediction, your goodness, may your power, your peace, your wisdom, may it flood over us and walk with us, carry us along, go in front of us and behind us. May your protection and your peace be given to us. And and help us, Lord, when we chafe at times against the rules of your word, which are then filtered down as church law. Help us to realize, oh, this, this is really, some of these are just rules of our own doing. They weren't even needed until we proved that we couldn't handle freedom. And there, so now, in an attempt to avert a, another disaster, rules have come. Let us not grow so impatient with them, but to realize our, their purpose is noble and good. And let us share a love and a smile with each other that nothing, nothing that might happen to us this week can take away. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, I pray. Amen.